the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Have you ever been unpopular? I mean, really unpopular. Whether you've imagined it or not, maybe it's reality, maybe you've imagined it. Has there ever been a time in your life when you really felt that you weren't particularly liked? It's a real temptation when you go through that, and all of us at one time or another, maybe there are some rare exceptions here, have gone through that, and you can begin to doubt your worth, your value. You can begin to question your real value as a person when you go through something like that. Now, most of us have experienced this problem in particular around junior high school age. I don't think anybody goes through junior high school, whether you're the quarterback on the football team or the homecoming queen. I think everybody gets picked on in junior high school, and it somehow leaves marks with us throughout our life so we can relate to people who have these problems continually. Now, on a much larger level, when Christians are persecuted and picked on by the society they live in, they can begin to doubt their value. They can begin to doubt their worth to God. If you hear enough times that you're the scum of the earth, if you just hear it over and over and over again, you can begin to believe that. Christians of Peter's day were living in a time when persecution hadn't come full force yet. They could feel that an extreme outbreak of persecution was just on the horizon. Some of them were Jewish Christians who had been persecuted before, while some of them were Gentile Christians who were facing persecution for the first time in their life. Hello, welcome to Verse by Verse. Our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, has been teaching in 1 Peter. And we have been learning a lot about persecution and how God uses trials and persecution in his children's lives. The Apostle Peter wrote this letter to comfort those Christians as well as to encourage and strengthen the brethren. Now, I hope you've been encouraged and strengthened by this series. We're ready to jump into today's program. So here is Pastor Steve Kreloff. We would like you to turn your Bibles to 1 Peter. We will continue our study in this tremendous book, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. And coming to him as to a living stone, rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, 
and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they're disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture. And we pray that you'll help us to see it clearly and to respond in accord with what the Word of God causes us to be face-to-face with tonight. Because we pray this in Jesus the Messiah's name. Amen. Have you ever been unpopular? I mean, really unpopular. Whether you've imagined it or not, maybe it's reality, maybe you've imagined it. Has there ever been a time in your life when you really felt that you weren't particularly liked? It's a real temptation when you go through that, and all of us at one time or another, maybe there are some rare exceptions here, have gone through that, and you can begin to doubt your worth, your value. You can begin to question your real value as a person when you go through something like that. Now, most of us have experienced this problem in particular around junior high school age. I don't think anybody goes through junior high school, whether you're the quarterback on the football team or the homecoming queen. I think everybody gets picked on in junior high school, and it somehow leaves marks with us throughout our life so we can relate to people who have these problems continually. Now, on a much larger level, when Christians are persecuted and picked on by the society they live in, they can begin to doubt their value. They can begin to doubt their worth to God. If you hear enough times that you're the scum of the earth, if you just hear it over and over and over again, you can begin to believe that. Much like a child or even an adult who keeps hearing he's stupid by his parents, who should never say that. And if he hears it enough times, he's going to believe it and he's going to act just like it. Now, the Christians who were receiving Peter's letter knew all about persecutions and trials. And I believe that Peter is going to help them to see how God sees them and help them to see what their real value is, who they really are, regardless of what the world says. But these people knew about persecution far greater than what we've experienced in junior high school, far greater than what I ever experienced in junior high school. For one thing, they had been blamed for the burning of Rome. We'll just give a little review. Remember, they had been blamed for the burning of Rome The Christians said that God's going to judge this world by fire, and tradition at least tells us that Nero put Rome on fire and had to find a scapegoat, so he blamed the Christians and said, they're the people. Nero not only blamed them, but he began killing some of them. The Christians of Peter's day were living in a time where persecution was just kind of breaking out. It really hadn't come full force. They could sense, they could discern and feel that an extreme outbreak of persecution was just on the horizon just something that was about to happen at any time. They were citizens of heaven who now were called aliens and scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Some of them were Jewish Christians who had been persecuted before because anti-Semitism was really running rampant in the Roman Empire. And these Jewish Christians were persecuted not only for being Jews, but double hatred because they were Jews and Christians. Some of them were Gentile Christians, and for them it was extremely difficult because for the first time in their life, they were experiencing persecution. They never knew what it was like. They fit in with the crowd before. So Peter sits down, he writes a letter to comfort these Christians, to encourage them, and to strengthen his brethren. Jesus said to Peter, he said, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you. But listen, Peter, when you're converted, you strengthen your brethren. And I think he meant the word convert doesn't necessarily mean in that setting when you become a believer. But Peter, when you get turned about, 
That's what literally convert means. You're going in one direction. Now you're turned about. When you get turned about, Peter, and you get your life straightened and you realize that I have forgiven you because you're going to blow it and not only blow it, but you're going to deny me. You're going to cry and weep bitterly, but you're going to repent. And when you get your life in order, Peter, your commission is to strengthen the brethren, feed the flock, strengthen the brethren. And if you look at First Peter chapter 5, you'll see his sort of summation of why he has written this is verse 12. He's written it with a man named Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him. I have written to you briefly. It's just a short letter, Peter says. It's not like Romans. It isn't like Corinthians. Briefly, I have written to you, exhorting you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. When the time of doubts come, when you wonder if it's really worth it, I want to attest that this is the true grace of God. You stand firm in it, regardless of what the world says about you. Now, he begins his letter by reminding these Christians of the wonderful salvation they have in Christ. He says at the beginning that God is sovereign, and he's sovereign, he's elected you. You have been chosen. You didn't choose him. There was a campaign a number of years ago, good campaign, called the I Found It campaign. Really, I didn't find it. It's wrong to call the Lord it, for one thing, and we didn't find him. He found us. But we understand what they're saying by that. I'm sure they would agree with that. But God is sovereign in electing us. He's elected them, and he will make sure that they will have an inheritance and get to heaven because he's elected them, and he's going to make sure he's accomplishing what he's already done in electing them. Now, if he's so sovereign in electing them, they can be sure that he's sovereign in allowing persecution to come in their life. He then goes on to say the trials are to prove that you really are one of God's children, and they're to develop your character. You're tested. Trials are good for you, though no trial seems good at the moment. Then also he goes on to say that the prophets predicted that Christ had to suffer. Christ had to suffer, and if you're his child, you're going to have to suffer. It's inevitable. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It may not be the type of persecution that is physical, but it will be persecution of one sort or another, or else something is wrong with your godliness. Now, he has in the past, based on this wonderful salvation, Peter has given four commands, four things that they're to do. They are to be holy. Chapter 1, verse 15, be holy, for God is holy. They are to fear God. Chapter 1, verse 17, reverence him, fear him, respect him. They are fervently to love one another. Chapter 1, verse 22. These are all the things that they are to do based on their salvation. The fourth thing is, because they have received him, they have been born again by the living word of God. They are to long for the pure milk of the word so that they might grow because they have tasted salvation. Now they're to grow and they're to long for it. He's told them what to do. He's commanded them individually to get going, do certain things. Now he changes his tune. This portion of scripture that we're going to study tonight, he no longer is going to tell them to do anything. There is no command in this. He's going to tell them what they are, who they are, that when the world may throw trials at you and you may be called terrible things, Peter says, I want you to know that God considers you people to be honored. The world may look down upon you, but God says that you are very special. And the figure he gives to start out in this passage of scripture, he says they are the temple. Look at verse 5. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. You're a temple. Now, Peter, who is the apostle to the Jews, is writing to these Christians who many of them were Jews. I don't believe like some that they were all Jewish Christians or they were all Gentile Christians. I think it's clear that they were both. 
And he's writing to them as a Jewish apostle who knows all about the temple to a people who knew, some of them being Jewish, understood greatly about the temple. And he says, look, you are the temple. You are special to God. And the temple to the Jew was the most revered and honored place in all of Judaism. Even today, thousands flock to the Wailing Wall, the last remnants of Solomon's temple, and they wail there and weep and pray, and they put little notes in there, and their prayers are on that. It's revered. It's holy. As the temple of God, Peter says, you can have dignity. You have importance. You have value. Even if the world doesn't recognize it, you are God's temple. Regardless of what anybody says, this is what God says about you. And this is all by way of introduction. Not only are you the temple, he says, but you're the priest within the temple. If you look a little further in verse 5, we'll get to that a little bit later, you'll see that in verse 9. And not only this, he says, but you're the sacrifices that are offered up. Not only are you the temple, you're the priests in the temple, and you're the sacrifices that are offered to God. You're special. You may be looked down upon. You may be scorned. You may be ridiculed. You may be laughed at. You may be mocked because of your faith. You may have lost friends over the gospel. But listen, you're special to God. In the end of this passage, he says, you are a special people. You're a peculiar people. You're a holy people. You're a nation given to God. You are possessed by him. Don't worry about what the world says you are. Be concerned with what God says in reality you are. So no longer in this letter, in this portion of scripture, is he going to emphasize something the individual Christian has to do. Now he says, sit back. And this is what you need to do. Sit back and soak in the word of God as we study this and see what God says you are. Because based on what you are, you're going to live like that. Now, in this passage, and I want to tell you, this has probably been the hardest passage of scripture I have ever had to study. And the reason being, because it is very different from the rest of 1 Peter, and certainly different from the Apostle Paul's writings, 1 Peter is systematic. There is a flow. There is a flow to all of Scripture. But within verses 4 through 10, if you look at it and if you try to outline it, you will realize that it is probably the most difficult passage we will run into in this entire book. I hope there's none more difficult than this in outlining it. When you read the Apostle Paul, he is so systematic in everything, he just flows. But when I tried to deal with this, it was so hard to outline it because Peter is jumping around and he starts at one place and he jumps off to something else. He's sort of like a typical rabbi who does that. That's how the rabbis in the Old Testament thought in the New Testament. They just jumped around and Peter starts here and he's a million miles into something else. Then he gets back here and he comes there. So realize we are not going to be able to exactly go verse by verse, but we're going to skip around within this passage because Peter skips around within the passage in his thoughts. We're going to look tonight at three truths about the church that teach us who we are. Who are we? All right. The first truth that we look at is the foundation of the church, the stone, the living stone, verse 4. And coming to him as to a living stone, rejected by men but choice and precious in the sight of God. The foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. He is the living stone. The idea here is not that they are just coming to him now for salvation, but that we have come to him for salvation. Those of us who have come to him have come and received salvation while the rest of the mass of humanity has rejected him. Most people have rejected Christ, but he says to you, coming to him as a living stone, you have received this. Others reject him, but you have received something that they've rejected. Now, the temple of Jerusalem, and try to stay with you, I'm going to try to be as clear as possible, but I am just going to go in all directions. The temple of Jerusalem was made up of gold and expensive stones, but it was dead. There was no life to it. 
There was no stone that was living. But Peter says, the temple of God is different. The foundation stone is Jesus Christ, and he's living. Now, that's a paradox. Stones don't live. But this stone lives, because why? Because it is choice and precious in the sight of God. It's a special stone. There's nothing like it. Nothing can ever be like it except us because we are hooked in with him. We are one with him. But here he's saying that the temple then was nothing. And the temple at that time was still standing. You think that's great? Listen, this is the foundation, the living stone. We've got something far better than what they have in Jerusalem. Though rejected by initially the Jewish leaders and from that point on everyone else who has not come to him, God says he's special. The church is one with Christ, and listen, if he is rejected by the mass of humanity, don't be surprised that you're rejected. That's by way of application. If most people reject Christ, and they do, whether they put on a religious facade or not, don't be surprised if they reject you. If they hated me, Jesus said, they're going to hate you. They have been rejected. And you know, I think we need to get through our heads that being a Christian means you are not in a popularity contest. You will not be liked. It's just plain and simple. The Christian life is not a popularity contest. You will not win any awards with even saved people. But here, predominantly with unsaved people, you'll be rejected. And if not, then there's something wrong with your life and you are not being conformed into the image of Christ because they didn't like him. And if everyone speaks well of you, Jesus said, there's something wrong. You're not doing anything. You're compromising all over the place. We've said this before. We have seen up to this point two things that are living. We have seen in the midst of death that Peter's readers faced, in the midst of decay, in the midst of corruption, we have seen they have a living hope. That's salvation. Not only that, they have a living word and that's scripture, but now he says, you have a living stone. Based on the fact that you have received the word of God, you have been born again by the living word, it has given you a living hope, and that hope is founded upon that living stone, we have something special. The word rejected, notice it says that they are rejected. In the New American Standard, it says that rejected, I think in the King James says disallowed. But rejected means to repudiate after a test. This living stone is the person of God the Son, the second person of the Trinity who came to earth. And we're going to see that Christmas time. We hope to have a message on the incarnation and really deal with what's involved in God becoming man. But this living stone came to earth and lived for 33 years in the midst of Israel. They watched him. They viewed him. He offered himself as the Messiah. They, for the most part, rejected him. But he was examined by official Israel for the purpose of approving him as Messiah. But they rejected him after examining him and then repudiated him because he was not what official Israel wanted in their Messiah. Peter says they looked him over and they rejected him. They put him to the test and they didn't want him. Jesus came offering himself. They said, no. Now, look, if an entire nation as a whole, there were many who didn't follow the nation, but if an entire nation rejected Jesus as the Messiah and crucified him, it certainly shouldn't be surprising that they're going to reject little people like you and me. If they couldn't recognize who he was, certainly they're not going to welcome us with open arms and say, you're special. No, they're going to reject us. Don't be surprised Peter says later in chapter 4, verse 12, don't be surprised when this fiery trial comes upon you. It shouldn't shock you. They did it to your master. They're going to do it to you. We have a living stone. But he's not only a living stone. He's the chief cornerstone. Verse 6, for this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion. And this is from Isaiah. I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. 
and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. The chief cornerstone selected for a building was large and it was solid. It's still large and it's solid. It's the principal stone on which the corner of the building rests. Under persecution, it is easy to fall apart. Under trials, all of us at one time or another have felt like giving up, felt like running away. But you know, our foundation, our cornerstone is sure. You may feel like giving up. You may be unfaithful, and we are. Yet he abideth faithful. He's the foundation. He's that living stone. He's that cornerstone that puts everything together. When you feel like you can't go another day, he's the cornerstone. And regardless of how you feel, He's there, solid and large and sure. I think last week the trio sang, we have an anchor, that in times like these, we have an anchor. Our anchor holds, and that anchor is Christ. He is the cornerstone. He is what puts everything together. Dr. James Dobson has written a book entitled something like this, Can You Trust Your Emotions? No, you can't trust your emotions, but you can trust that cornerstone. You can trust that he's solid, and you have a part of him, and he has a part of you. Peter quotes from Isaiah. Now, it's interesting. He says, he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. The Hebrew, if we were to go back to Isaiah, which we're not, but the Hebrew says for the word disappointed, it reads literally, shall not make haste or flee. Lenski, who is a Lutheran commentator, very good one, says this. The one who must hurry away in flight does so because he's ashamed. This is the meaning in the Hebrew. The one who must hurry away in flight does so because he's ashamed. His misplaced faith ends in bitter disappointment, and he thus hastens to get away to hide. In other words, the person who rests his faith and confidence in Christ shall stand solid and safe and secure forever, regardless of what's going on around you, regardless of the political situation, regardless of what government passes, regardless of whether society goes down the tubes, which it looks like it's doing. Regardless of that, you have an anchor. Your cornerstone remains sure and solid and safe and secure. Isn't that encouraging? It's thrilling. And that's what Peter wants us to see. This is what you are. This is what you have. I'm not commanding you to do anything. Your response is going to be based on who you are. Practice always follows position, as we stated this morning. The Christian life is putting into practice what God says you are positionally. That's what the Christian life is. The chief cornerstone brings stability into our lives. It should bring stability into their life. He can be counted upon and never disappointed. You know, I've known Christ now for, well, in a few months, it'll be 10 years. And I can honestly say, and I tell this to unbelievers, I have never been disappointed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Never once. I have been disappointed in me many times. I have been disappointed in people. I have been disappointed in you as well as I'm sure you've been disappointed in me. But I have never once been disappointed in Jesus Christ. And I hope you can say that because if you're disappointed in him, something is wrong with you. He's one we can count on. I've not always understood God's ways, but the Bible says, as for God, his ways are perfect. I don't understand it. And sometimes even when I go through the trial and I look back, I don't understand it. But remember what we studied last week, Deuteronomy 29, 29. It applies to this too. The secret things belong to our God. You don't need to understand trials. You don't need to understand what's going on around you. God never says in his word, now understand what's going on. He just says, trust me, the chief cornerstone. You don't need to get one. You've got one, God says. Now he says there's something else about this foundation, this stone. He's a living stone. He's a chief cornerstone but he's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Jesus, the one who's rejected by humanity, is of precious value 
to the Christians. And because he's valuable, we're precious to God because we're one with him. But to those who reject him, to those who accept him, he's precious. To those who reject him, he's a rock of offense and a stumbling block. In verse 7, we read something. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. And the word precious could be translated honorable. This honorable or precious value, then, is for you who believe, but to those who disbelieve, to those who reject the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. It's interesting. It's a graphic picture. It's a picture of stones hewn out of the quarry and transported to be placed into a building. Each stone had to be cut precisely to the right size, cut to a designated size and shape to fit right into the appropriate place. The masons who chiseled the stones chiseled it as a square stone to fit right into the block upon block. Toward the end of today's verse-by-verse program, Pastor Steve said, the Christian life is putting into practice what God says you are positionally. Pastor Steve has more to teach us about the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, in our next verse-by-verse, so I hope you're able to join us then. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. I've been asked to invite you to visit Lakeside if you're ever in the Clearwater area. At Lakeside, you will find more great teaching from the Bible, just like you hear on this verse-by-verse program. More information about Lakeside Community Chapel can be found at lakesidechapel.com. That's Lakeside Chapel. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.